everybody, welcome back to Jetlag. This is episode four of season two. And so far, this season has been very interesting. We've covered the back end of music booking. We've covered the shows themselves and preparing for them and what's been impacted by all of this. And then last time we talked to somebody who was at the tail end of a forced government quarantine and how they felt about it and what their moves, what their next moves were. Today, we are talking about a artist who is in the middle of dealing with a pandemic and trying to figure out what they're gonna do, what they've been doing. And uh, we, we wanna know what it's like for the performers themselves, for the, for the labels themselves. Um, so we've got on an awesome guest today and I'm gonna go ahead and let Larry introduce her. Yeah, that's right, Andrew. Uh, and this is going to be the final episode of this season where we look at the music industry. Um, as you've mentioned, we've talked about production and music venues and publicity during uh, this period. But today we're going to talk about the artists themselves. Now, when it comes to international travel, few do it as tough as the touring musician. They enjoy 6 a.m. lobby calls to make a flight after finishing a show at 2 in the morning. They may live on a bus for weeks at a time. They travel to some of the most exotic places in the world and then never see the outside of the music venue. It's a career, it's a job, and it can be a grind, but I'm sure many wouldn't have it any other way. And that's why this time is particularly difficult for that community, because they've not only stopped touring, but they've paused careers indefinitely in some instances. The lack of clarity around borders reopening and what travel will look like post-COVID, like how much will flights cost, means that plans for careers are not just on hold, but indeed maybe thrown out altogether. Today we're speaking to an artist who has a wealth of knowledge and experience in the industry, not just on the stage and on record as one half of Miss Mister, and now as LPX, who released her new single, Delayed Gratification, last month as the pandemic raged on, but as the co-founder of Neon Gold Records. Please welcome to the show LPX herself, Lizzie Plappinger. Thanks for joining Hi. us. Thanks for having me, guys. This is a, uh, a welcomed break from the monotony of other Zoom calls and a <laughs> lot of newfound alone time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how are you coping with with that side of things it, this for all of us so much about of the the joy we get in our careers is getting out seeing people traveling um how has it been transitioning to a period of relative isolation i would say to you know i'd say that it's a huge adjustment but even that feels like a massive uh <laughs> understatement i'm such a highly social being uh, both professionally and as a person, um, that it's been like a fairly dramatic shift. And, you know, from going to playing shows every night and taking meetings every day and walking around New York City to being quarantined and isolated by myself in my apartment in Brooklyn is been a huge emotional, mental, physical shift that I feel like I'm still reeling from to some capacity. Um, although it seems like, you know, maybe we're beginning to see out the other side of that. Um, but a huge change. Yeah. And so, I mean, as an artist and a performer, so much of it has to do with going out and being on stage and getting those adrenaline highs and the anxiety before going on stage, the release, the reception, all those kind of things. And when that comes to a full stop, um, you know, that's kind of a welcome break, but a lot of people, uh, it's about the ebb and the flow. And right now there's no ebb and flow right now. It's just locked up. 
Um, how are you feeling as a creative? Is this an opportunity or do you have to get over other things in order to even open that part of your, your mind? It's honestly, at least for me personally, devastating for shows to come to a halt, both as a record label on LPX and as a fan who goes to show on the regular. It is where I feel most connected to other people. It's where I understand who I am the most. It is where my art, I feel like, most comes to life. Um, it's also a majority of where I think genuine fan relationships are made so that you can you know, build the foundation for what you hope is a lifelong career. Um, and it's also a significant source of income. So to cut it off on so many levels is, and continues to be honestly the thing I am personally most grappling with uh, in the wake of the pandemic. Um, you know, there are many moments and opportunities that I can like sort of like change my mental shift and find a silver lining and focusing on, you know, either engaging with fans online or, you know, digital marketing, you know, refocusing, directing attention. But for me, I've always been like live and die by the show. Like it's the thing I care most about. Um, and it's hard feeling like you're connecting with people or numbers on a screen. It doesn't feel real to me until you're in the room at a show. Um, and so to not know what the future of that looks like as venues are in financial crisis and are shutting down and mm -hmm. being eaten up by larger conglomerates that are going to disservice both the artists and the fans. Uh, we don't know about future travel restrictions. Will I even be able to afford to get on the road? Will people feel safe coming to shows? Um, it's really scary. And I just have to hold on to the hope and belief that, you know, music is a magical spellbinding force that has been, you know, a thread of connectedness since the beginning of mankind, you know, since mm -hmm. before industries were, were, were built. Uh, I believe there will be a return to form, but I don't know what that looks like. And so do I sit here and stew and, and, and worry about what it looks like, or do I actively try and think about ways that I can engage in fixing that problem? Right. Um, which I guess is how I've been most recently trying to like, think about or dream about just to, to fantasize, to like reignite hope in myself as a performer and as a fan, what that could be. So, so I'm curious because I guess, I guess we kind of did that this out of order. Cause that's, that's where we're at now, but I'm also curious what things looked like for you leading up until about, you know, February, March, you know, what was, what was 2019 like, what, what were the future plans? And then, you know, how did, how did you know personally that something was about to change? So I started LPX in 2018. Um, and I, <laughs> an avid plan maker and, and business owner, I've sort of created this blueprint that I really wanted to hold myself accountable to just doing the work and putting one foot in front of the other, writing, releasing, getting on the road, writing, releasing, getting on the road. I always knew I wanted to do three EPs and then build into an album um, and tour as much as humanly possible between all those re releases in order to support and sort of gain fans. So 2019, I was coming off a high of 2018, having released my first EP as an artist and feeling like I was really starting to establish myself as LPX and standing on my own two feet and differentiating myself from what I had achieved with Miss Mister. Um, and was so lucky coming hot off the heels of playing Falls Festival in Australia, I returned to America only to find that a, a friend of mine, an artist, Mo, 
was on tour in the States, um, but her support act had dropped off last minute. And I reached out directly and within 24 hours after basically like coming off a flight from Australia, I got back on the road, was able to do that tour. I'd had an EP, Junk of the Heart, in my back pocket that I released right after that. Um, and then 2019, I was able to continue building momentum for that release uh, through also touring that year with Ex Ambassadors, Marina the Diamonds, Block Party. Um, so I, have, I had really been feeling the momentum steadily building and that all my sort of groundwork was beginning to pay off. And it set me up really excited for 2020, having done so many support tours, having released two EPs, to take on sort of a new direction musically with this 30p and also while building out support tours which i was about to do in the spring with uh, carly ray jepson and maggie rogers i was also building towards my first proper headline tours lpx um which felt so magical you know it's yeah. like it, it takes so much energy and heart to get a project off the ground and i really felt like 2020 the pieces were coming together and I could start to really reap the benefits mm -hmm. and push things even aggressively further um, as an artist. And so, you know, I released New Mood, which is a single I'm incredibly, incredibly proud of and is sort of like a wild high octone, Pantone, sonic cocaine <laughs> event. <laughs> um, and sort of boldly announced that this was gonna be like next era, next chapter, LPX going bigger and bolder than ever. Um, and namely announcing that with like, you know, the heavyweight tours that I had mm -hmm. planned in my own tour. And a week after its release, um, you know, news about COVID started to spread. Mm -hmm. I was still active in the city. I didn't really know what it meant, but honestly at that point, it didn't feel like it had any effect on my life whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Um, and it wasn't really until the week before South by yep. where I was supposed to be going as part of neon gold, my record label, we've been going, you know, 10 plus years and having showcases there and showcasing our new artists and other people we love, you know, across the world. Um, and when South by Southwest came to a, you know, halt, basically, that was the first time I was like, oh shit. Like yep. what is, is, is this the beginning? Is this the first domino? within my bubble and industry and musical sphere. Um, and what is that going to mean? Yeah, because South, South the by was the escalated was insane. South by was the honestly the trigger, I, th I feel like for a lot of the whole industry because they at least in America. Yeah, which kind of sets it off for a lot of the rest of the world too. in some in some senses. I mean, totally. how much of the world travels to South by, you know? I think that's like that to that point, you know, yeah. South by has become, I think less about actually North American bands and way more about international acts who are getting to the States for the first time to sort of try and make that entry point to the gatekeepers of festival bookers and, mm -hmm. you know, people who are uh, doing sync for TV and shows and other American bands who are looking for support. Um, I think it's become like a real international hotspot. So I, I totally think you're right. I think the red flag that South by put in the ground was, was the first of so many dominoes to fall. And then, you know, how quickly within that month did we see all the festivals start to push back? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, for whatever reason, I feel like the thing that really, or at least my, from my perspective within, you know, my world of the label and industry chat, 
you know, when Coachella decided to push back, that's mm. when people were like, oh, I guess this is really fucking serious. <laughs> you can think about the level of like yeah. money and celebrity and whatever, like hogwash mm. is associated mm. with that specific event. Right. Um, and so while that's happening, I'm grappling with the reality as an independent artist that, you know, I don't have label support. You know, I'm self-funding. Everything I do is DIY. I'm self-managed, self-released. Um, and in some way, you know, well, in many ways, it's, it's beautiful. I am able to be nimble and flexible about what my release schedule looks like in my plans. But, you know, to have Maggie put on pause, to have Carly put on pause, to no longer be able to really have access to the holds I was securing for my headline tour. Um, and then simultaneously, as I was leading off the back of New Mood, I was teeing up my next single sort of, you know, on the back end, on the business side pitching. And then once we all found ourselves in quarantine, you know, first week hit, it just felt really inappropriate and a little tone deaf to put out new music. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I, that was a conversation I had to have with myself. It was a conversation I had to have with my artists all while trying to be respectful of everyone's, you know, difference of place that they're coming from. Um, but at least for LPX, I, I just put a pause in everything because it just didn't feel right to, I don't know, be self-promoting at a time when there was so much social and cultural unrest globally. Mm -hmm. um, it just didn't feel appropriate. And also, honestly, I think I was just wrestling with like the jolt to my system mm -hmm. of now finding myself in a incredibly stressful and dire situation. You know, I think everyone's immediate depression was real. Yeah, as an artist, you don't want to force yourself to do something either because it doesn't feel genuine, and that's kind of the the whole point of it. Um, so, dude, a hundred percent. So, okay, so that's that's what happened, and then you told us that it was really hard. Have you started to move to overcome that, or have you had any interesting pivots or any aha moments where? Um, this has changed things for you more than just temporarily? I think I'm still coming out the other side or grappling with what, what the longstanding changes for me personally are going to be coming out of this. You know, I would say that first month I was just so depleted pretty much in every way. You know, I just, you know, I saw people doing live streams and, you know, right artists and all mediums sort of encouraging artists to write and create and you know like Shakespeare wrote X Y and Z in this time period and honestly I felt like I was really drowning in the pressure and anxiety around feeling like I should be creative mm -hmm. and use that time and just not being able to show up um, and that felt really shitty as someone who's always used writing and art as an outlet to sort of get through those moments of like personal unrest right but I also felt like, and I wonder if that was, you know, your guys' experience. When I reached out to other musicians, you know, my, the response was almost overwhelmingly the same, that people just weren't able to sort of like creatively show up. Hmm. Um, and so instead of fighting it, I sort of, I took that month, that first month to really lean into just feeling blue and trying to process it as mm -hmm. a human. Um, did you do live streaming or anything? Were you jumping I on didn't, that at all? I didn't do any live streaming. Um, honestly, like I said, I, I live alone. I'm really not set up to do something like that. And and on a personal level, and I say it without judgment of other people who found that to be like a helpful exercise, I 
personally didn't like watching the live stream. So it's not like a hmm. space I wanted to contribute to. I, I found it like, I, I like, maybe this is inappropriate to say. I really found it like depressing to see people. I was, like, I, I remember, hmm. I remember watching Colin Malloy from the Decemberist first one that he did. And I was supposed to see him in August and I'm a big Decemberist fan. And I was just engaging with this show in this way. And I just, and I just lost it. Like I just, yeah. I just started crying because I was like, is this now it? Is this, totally? is this it now? And that, that was a depressing prospect. That's so interesting. I, I, I guess I had a different experience because really, really early on, I watched this uh, hardcore band Code Orange who was supposed mm -hmm. to have their uh, release show. And f within 48 hours notice, they're like, it's canceled. So they just turned the whole venue into a live stream setup and did their record release on Twitch. And while nobody was there and they played to a literally empty, they played heavy music to an empty venue. Um, it was really cool. So my nerd senses were like, wow, this is rad. And I was loving watching like the Insomniac setup because theirs is crazy. Um, all the DJs I mean, that's, that's so awesome. But also they were able to occupy a venue Right, yeah, like yeah. they weren't doing it from their bedroom. Yeah. True, also, true, true. Yeah, there's a big difference visually if it's like somebody in their house like trying to make do. I mean, they, they they still had like a production pretty much. But that's also cool to hear because I was thinking about how like especially the live streams, it feels so limiting in terms of like genres that really translate in mm -hmm. that platform and medium. So it's it's actually really rad to hear that you saw a hardcore band where so much of the show is about just like mosh. Mm. Mosh, community yeah. and energy which by the way side note i would give my right arm to go to a punk show right now like yeah. all i fucking want right. to do get it out is scream my head off and mosh and just like punch somebody in the face and they're like i yeah. have never i have like... never decided that cathartic release more um I've seen a lot of speculation online, people wondering like, are shows gonna be insane after this? Like how aggressive is it gonna be? But are we allowed to, you know, let's. I don't know. Yeah, I was, I, I even saw something recently. I wonder if you guys have also like seen this video going around some club in Belgium, I think it is, was hosting raves, but they were like seated raves at six feet apart and people have to dance in the chairs. Probably. And like, no, no, I'm watching no, no, it no, and no, I'm no. like, man, no. I don't want to like be negative or get down on you for like you doing you. And if this is serving someone that I'm for it, but it's not what I want. Um, yep. I'm not, I'm not about that. It's, yeah. it's challenging. So yeah. no, I didn't do the live streams. <laughs> um, I wasn't set up to do so. It wasn't something I felt like artistically aligned with what I enjoy about performing. Right. Nor did I think I really get off on it. Um, I have enjoyed how, like, you know, some people have really, like, run with the prompt and made it their own, like, you know, Karen O, who I'm, like, diehard fan of. She was doing this IGTV series, which I guess is less of a live stream. They were, like, you know, constructed performance pieces. But she'd have this thing where someone in her house kept opening a closet, and every time they opened the closet, it was, like, a different setup, and she performed a different song with, like, a different, like, mood. Mm -hmm. And it was so fire. And I love that, the idea of, like, these sort of mini... Uh, live performance music videos yeah yeah um and the creativity that's erupted within the confines of the, that constraint is really rad and that has been super inspiring mm. um so yes i did not jump on the live stream i put my plans on hold 
I allowed myself to be a depressed piece of garbage that first month, <laughs> um, which I needed to do. Like I just couldn't yeah. fight it. And yeah. then I had a little bit of a turning point um, where suddenly instead of feeling like I was longing for what was or what I hoped was coming, I just decided to sort of focus on, not to sound hippy dippy about this, but focus on like what I control in the moment in actuality and in present to make everything feel like a joy. And I started deep diving on albums and musicians that I always sort of meant to listen to, but never really got to, films that have been on my to-do list, books. Like I really started making my apartment and my personal like mantra to just become this like luxurious artistic sponge to anything and everything I could get my hands on and fill myself with as much inspiration as humanly possible. Hmm. And that was truly mind blowing and completely changed my disposition that second month where I started to really appreciate um, the pause. And I recognize that's a totally privileged position to come you know, from, um, but that was my personal experience. And, you know, watching, you know, The Handmaiden, which is like this, uh, uh, Korean Japanese erotic psych thriller, one of like the most visually beautiful films I've ever seen. And then reading an Eve Babbitt's book about her experience in the music industry in Hollywood in the 70s. Uh, and then, you know, jumping into a Yayoi Kusama documentary and seeing the world that she created for herself and listening to Miles Davis from his very first record up until his very last. Hmm. I mean, I just started using the time as this personal education mm -hmm. course moment and that was really special so do you really really special so i guess that kind of goes into the the next phase which is where do you see this going in the you know next six months and how does all of that sponginess you put yourself through where does that put you in that path you know i feel like after that second month and sponginess <laughs> i felt super energized i mean like really energized and refocused on i just had so much clarity about the things i really was falling in love with um i started to feel less precious about the idea of what a release can look like what i'm capable of as a musician and visual artist and felt more inspired to create my, my own artwork do my own diy videos to not hold it to this impossible standard or put it in the hands of other people and just allow it to be as me and hands-on and craft oriented as possible, which led me to the point of wanting to put out delayed gratification where, you know, I took that, I, the art, the single art, I took a week before the release came out of myself on my floor with my Polaroid camera, uploaded it. Like I've been making a DIY lyric video, uh, writing my own like press release and drafts. I mean, just occupying, Anything I would usually hand off to someone else, I just did myself. Um, and it became this lesson in that I am so capable of doing all these components and pieces if I let go of that like fear and preciousness uh, or, and some like fantasy level of professionalism that I'm imposing on myself that maybe doesn't matter. Um, and so I was getting really excited leading up to this release. And then a week after this release, um, George Floyd's murder took place. And obviously social media and the world has been 
galvanized for the better to refocus all of our collective energies in the Black Lives Matter movement. And so respectfully, not dissimilar to COVID, I've had to sort of be nimble and flexible and be like, okay, not my time to self-promote, not my time to occupy this digital space, which as an independent artist is sort of the only lane which I have to do that. Um, so in some ways I feel back to square one a little bit in terms of taking a back seat to sort of re-understand what my role as a white woman with privilege is to be an ally to this movement, to serve myself as an artist, when and where does that come to, into play, you know, appropriately. And I don't have the answers to that yet. I feel like I've got to go like sort of back to the education bubble. And so whatever plans I had about another single coming in a month, an EP coming this summer, plans I still want to follow through, I'm having to sort of reconceptualize and re-understand what makes sense, where it's appropriate, how is it serving the greater conversation as well as myself as an independent artist, and I don't have those answers yet. Um, I will say feeling the connectedness and community um, show up, especially in New York, people taking to the streets, protesting every day, has been inspiring and has been another, you know, way and mode of education to get outside of myself and see a bigger conversation happening. Um, and I am able to be nimble about what my release schedule looks like. And that's a benefit of being independent. Um, and also to see people out in the streets and be together. I'm like, maybe this is really telling, like, it gives me hope that people will once again, feel comfortable to be in a crowd and be at a show. That's um, true this is the closest experience I've had to what that feels like in the past months. And it gives me hope that there, that, you know, the door isn't closed on shows and festivals for music, um, that it's just going to be a rebuilding ground. And I hope for the better, maybe it will mean, you know, I hope it means, you know, more gender equality on festival lineups, you know, more race equality on, on festival lineups, more equality across the board on touring opportunities. Um, more quality in terms of how industry is hiring people and supporting artists of color and female artists. And I hope, like I'm trying to find the positive and the beauty and joy in a time that feels very devoid of any. Um, but that's my sort of default mode. There's always something exciting mm -hmm. about a clean slate though. And I feel like that's kind of where we're at right now where a lot of stuff is getting destroyed and erased and it's kind of up to everybody who's a decision maker to decide what's next um so 100 i guess that's where the exciting part is you just can't stay too latched on to what's now gone yes and so. i think that's hard i understand that i'm a romantic nostalgic person by mm -hmm. nature and so to remove yourself from the comfort or fantasy of what was and recognize that what's ahead is going to be starkly different is a lot, but you have to see it as the positive and most necessary next step um, on every level possible. And I can't wait to see sort of how that's reflected in art and what will I make in the wake of those shifts as well is gonna be really interesting. I, I can't sort of like premeditate what that's gonna be. Well, speaking of premeditating, is there any like, what's the number one thing that you are looking forward to after all this is said and done? I can't wait to play a fucking show. <laughs> like, I can't wait to play a show. I can't wait to go to a show. I can't, like, I don't care if someone spills a beer on me or someone, like, 
too tall or if someone's brushing up against me, like I'm ready for the force and emotion and connectivity of that experience. It's the number one thing I crave. To sing in unison at a festival to your favorite band with complete strangers, it's gonna be as close to an orgasm as I, I think you could come <laughs> emotionally. Well, you know, I, I, I think there's a very high chance that you're not alone on that. So, you know, maybe these shows and maybe the future of the industry is gonna be exciting in a new way that you know, feels refreshing that we haven't seen so. in a long time. Takes us back to that childlike innocence of our first shows and totally. remember why we like, why we, you know, why we like doing all this in the first place. It is a special place to be filled with that kind of wonderment and reappreciation, or at least re-understanding and clarification for yourself on, you know, how lucky are we that we work in music? You know, this is teenage dream come true, but now there's a responsibility that comes with that. And so, how do we merge those two? Right. And speaking of uh, teenage dreams, I have to ask you this every time we chat and we're going to end on this, but uh, did you get any closer to doing a show with Cage the Elephant since we last I'm spoke? so glad you asked. <laughs> I'm not really any closer, but after that interview, Matt Schultz saw my saw our interview and reached out to me because I posted about it and was like, oh, dude, we got to make this happen. So I feel like I'm at least in the conversation <laughs> and the more i talk about this dream tour with cage the elephant like it's gonna happen i just like the idea that there will be like you know a history of interviews and president of me talking about it for years and so when it comes to fruition like you and i gotta like share a pint in person or over zoom to really, to really celebrate it <laughs> you have to bring the show to toronto and we'll yeah, 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 yeah. make a night yeah, of it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well that sounds awesome well lizzie well, Thanks so much for joining us uh, on Jetlag today. It's been amazing speaking with you about your experiences. And uh, honestly, uh, it's just gotten me excited about things starting to return to normal as, as, much as, <laughs> as much as anything else. Same. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you guys taking the time at a time when there are very limited opportunities for me to support the project. So thank you. It's not lost on me. Cool. Well, I really appreciate that. I hope you continue to have an enlightening experience and that it continues <laughs> to get even better on the way out. And uh, hopefully we'll so. see you at a show. Cool. That's it. We'll see you next time.